Hello, everybody, and welcome to the JWB Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Justin. I'm Wyatt. And on today's show, we're going to be doing some recent NFL news and finishing up our running back breakdown from last week, finishing up with some sleepers for the late rounds. We're going to try and jump right into things because we have a lot to go through today. Yeah, I'm with you. We have quite a lot of content here to get through uh, all these remaining running backs. So let's get right into some news. So for our first piece of news, Derrick Henry and the Titans ended up coming to a long-term agreement. Justin, what do you think this means for his fantasy value? Uh, I think his fantasy value remains unchanged. I believe when we first had the piece of news that they were not going to come to a contractual agreement, you had very accurately compared this situation to uh, Dalvin Cook and mentioned that this is uh, the exact opposite, that it seems like he was going to play. He's still getting paid a fair amount of money. Well, it looks like you are the Nostradamus of predicting football contracts because uh, they did end up paying him a whole lot of money, and that's good news. Uh, a running theme of our take on NFL news has been how it impacts stability within offenses, and I think this is just another good sign of stability for people who are looking to take Derrick Henry in the top five. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think what this really means for me, and I'm not sure how much this actually impacts his value, but they signed Tannehill to the big contract, and then they signed Derrick Henry to the big contract. They're really building their foundation and saying these are the guys we're going to ride with and specifically for dynasty that's great if you're if you have pieces in that offense because you know it's going to continue to do what it's doing i think it's still going to be very good I, I agree with you i know a lot of the pieces there that i'm very fond of like aj brown are still going to be playing on their lower money deals for quite a while so it's nice that they're able to spend some money on quarterback running back um as well as i think maybe some defensive positions that they've locked up as well so from a fantasy perspective, stability is always good. As a football fan, I'm kind of excited for what the Titans have going on, so I'm glad they're getting some deals done. Yeah, so our next piece of news is that A.J. Green signed his franchise tag. And what I thought was interesting that he's actually quoted saying, it's best for me just to go out there and play on this franchise tag, and then we revisit it after the season, which to me means he's ready to go out and ball because he knows that he's playing for a new contract after this, whether it's with the Bengals or not. Um, I haven't been that high on AJ Green going into the season, but he is AJ Green. I mean, it's possible he just comes out and he's a top 12 receiver again. Yeah, so the the age, the numbers, the metrics would suggest that that's probably not going to be the case for him. But one important piece for me is always motivation, right? I referenced this when we were discussing Rob Gronkowski uh, when we had our initial episode and talked about draft strategy, that I think there's a reason why he came back. And I see some of that fight and some of that fire in the words that are coming out of AJ Green. And that's an important precursor. If he's going to get back to the guy who we could rely on as a wide receiver too, or even be better than that. Maybe right. Wyatt, we need to hear him saying things like this and we need to see him on the field. So I'm glad that money and contract is not a concern of his. If he's going to do what he says and just go out and, and play and prove it on the field, that's good news for everybody. Yeah. It's just about where he is health wise. Uh, everything's pointing to him being okay. That that defense in the Cincinnati should be bad, so you expect the Bengals to have to throw a lot. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I agree. Next, we've got Ronald Jones. 
It's been reported that he's actually added more muscle to his frame, and he's been working on his receiving abilities and pass blocking with his personal trainer, who actually worked with last year. I don't know if you remember, but last year there was a report he went from 208 pounds to about 218 when he was playing, and it actually really improved his game. Uh, there was a lot of doubters on him adding weight because he's a, he's a speed-based running back, uh, but it worked out for him last year. Seeing that he's working with the same trainer who helped him last year, that he's added a little bit more muscle mass. He's supposed to be up to 225 now, uh, which would better help him you know, take the workload that he could get in this offense. And the fact that he's been working on his receiving abilities and his passing blo- pass blocking so diligently is a, a great sign for him. Because really the reason why he was kept off the field some was because of his pass blocking and his or lack thereof, I should say. So I think this is pretty great news for Ronald Jones. I agree. So he's already a guy who was kind of creeping up the draft board for you and I, and he's very polarizing in the fantasy community. And I totally understand why that would be the case, but I I definitely see him almost molding himself to be not James White, but to, to maybe pick up some of the more important attributes of James White that made him able to be on the field with Tom Brady so often. And that really interests me because my my issue with Ronald Jones is that inside that offense with Bruce Arians, I think if you can't do things like block and catch the ball when it's needed, you have a very limited ceiling. So all the strides that he's apparently taking to me are things that are going to increase his potential ceiling for this year. And for a guy who I'm looking at is like the fourth or fifth running back on my team, not necessarily, not necessarily someone that I want to flex every week, perhaps. Uh, but I I'd like him to have a high upside and he seems to be, to be going that way. Do you feel that way as well? Yeah. With, and with Ronald Jones, I think I was never worried about him, you know, not getting first or second down work with Keyshawn Vaughn being there. Now it was always just a worry of if he's going to alert, or lose the uh, third down work, which is kind of a concern because, you know, Tom Brady loves to check the ball down a lot. But if Ronald Jones is able to be a three down back or at least get some of the third down work, he's going to be a big value where he's getting drafted right now. Yeah, I agree completely. That's actually a way that I've heard it phrased very interestingly that we know with a guy like Ronald Jones that there's value in having first and second down work in Tampa. So everything that I think we have read about him and some things that people at home have seen about him indicating that he could be taken maybe in those middle fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds uh, that that stock is going to go up if he's going to be able to get some third down work. And he seems to be preparing himself like he either believes he can be a three down back or he maybe expects to get some of that work. So we'll uh, continue to monitor that situation very closely. Yeah. And speaking of running backs, Sean McVay actually came out expressing his admiration for the 49ers and their use of a running back by committee. Now, I don't know how much of this is coach speak and I don't know if I'm just looking for another reason to not be a fan of the Rams backfield and the confusing nature of it, but it does make me kind of want to just stay away. I, I do like cam Akers the most out of the people in that backfield, but I'm still just worried about how much they're going to run, who's going to run and when, and just not knowing what's going to happen there. Yeah, I agree. I, I was not particularly high on that backfield either. Uh, I definitely have not really bought into some of the Cam Akers hype that I think a lot of other people have. Um, there is a school of thought that he's going to be a almost Kareem Hunt light, very capable uh, PPR back this year. 
And I don't have enough evidence to trust him or Henderson or anything that's going on in that offense. Uh, I think that Cup is going to catch the ball a lot. I think that Woods is going to outperform his ADP. I think every other facet of that team outside of perhaps Higby is off my radar. And this kind of solidifies that for me. Um, Interestingly, I'm glad that this piece of news came out this week because I think we're going to get a good look at other running backs that you and I would recommend people take in the same range that this Rams backfield is moving. So hopefully everybody can kind of look at that particular situation and maybe we'll give them a few names that they could pinpoint instead of Cam Akers or Henderson at this point. Moving on to our most important piece of news, I think this week is that we've had some updates in regards to the NFL and how they're going to be handling COVID-19 and their protocol uh, it really started over the weekend. The players were tweeting, we want to play, uh, voicing their concerns about how they don't have any information yet, or at least not enough information. And there's not enough plans yet. So we really started to get some information these last couple of days as the NFLPA and the NFL got together and started to hash some of this stuff out. So one of the first things is that training camp is going to happen on time. Yeah, I definitely think that that's good news. Uh, We can expect everybody to be ready to go, uh, especially in a world where there's no preseason, right? So the fact that camp is going to start and have a good expanded roster to it is something that's going to be helpful from a fantasy perspective. I'm just hoping we see a lot of good local press that will tell us about what's going on in these training camps and maybe answer some questions for position battles for us. But getting them out there and getting them on the field and a timely fashion is is huge. That means everybody will be practicing and we'll have some information well before draft date. And also we found out that there's going to actually be daily COVID-19 testing for the first two weeks of training camp, which is something the players were asking for specifically. And depending on or the positivity rate, the frequency of the testing can actually go down. In addition to that, there's a planned opt-out date of August 1st for any players who want to actually stay out of this year. Yeah, I think that's just as important as the rest of this news, because we obviously need to know who's practicing and what teams are going to plan on doing in contested backfields or who's going to be a slot receiver, who's not going to be on the field very often, right? But the opt-out date is just as important. Anybody who is not planning on participating in this season, uh, we need to know that early. And I don't know if everybody is really thinking about it along these lines, but you know why? What we're not going to see is fringe guys, third receivers, fourth receivers, rookies, young, hungry talent opting out. The The people who are going to have the option of sitting the season out and foregoing that money will likely be stars. People who have families at home or at risk, who have new babies on the way, for example, like we've seen it in all the other sports. So we could potentially lose some big names. But I think if we know that, by August 1st or right around that date, it's going to be easy to plan around. So hopefully everybody makes a safe, healthy decision that they're comfortable with. And from a fantasy perspective, we'll know how to deal with it. I think I think that's some really good insight because actually Russell Wilson tweeted recently that his wife is pregnant right now. So maybe he doesn't play. I mean, Mark Andrews has type 1 diabetes, so he's a higher risk. Uh, maybe he doesn't play. You know, they're... We could find out some of these high-profile guys who could sit out and be okay actually do so. Yeah, right. Like, And that's almost exactly what I mean. So I'm glad that you brought up that Russell Wilson example. It 
doesn't seem very likely, and I totally understand that. But if there was going to be a person who chose not to participate, it would have to be someone who has job security, knew that they could come back to that job next year, and has already earned enough on a contract that they could sit out for a year without having it be devastating to them and their family and their future. And there's only a small list of guys who could really do that. So being able to find out who may choose not to take part early is a good sign for what's happening. Yeah, and speaking of young and hungry players, we're not going to be seeing as much of them this year because there will be no preseason. It's been decided there will not be any preseason games. We talked about this a little bit before about how we think this will have a big impact on rookie players and young players not being able to get some actual in-game reps. So I think what this really means is that there's even a heavier focus on the veterans, which we've kind of been preaching so far. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, the Eagles, for example, and how this could have an effect on what Jalen Reger does versus what a guy like Deshaun Jackson does is massive. I do expect there to be some teams where the veterans are going to rise up not only on draft boards, but in early free agent pickups because of their role in those offenses. Uh, Without any preseason games to get them acclimated, it it could be a struggle for some people newly coming into the league right there. I I think from our perspective, as far as trying to figure out who to draft, when to take them, and who we may want to pick up earlier in the year, uh, I'm going to preach a thing that was actually taught to me by both your dad and your uncle through the years which is to rely heavily on local beat writers. That's going to be a huge source of information for us because these preseason camps from all around the country are going to have maybe little taglines on ESPN or on Fantasy Pros, but some of that local press is where we're really going to be able to dive in and hear about who's acclimating well and who seems to be getting more work and who went from working out with the twos to working out with the ones and being able to find that evidence and use it will be critical this year, probably more so than ever before. Yeah, I think we're really going to have to dig deep to, to find any edge we can for this year. Couldn't agree more. All right, I think that's enough for news. Why don't we move on to finishing up our running back breakdown that we started last week. This week, we're going to be talking about guys rounds five through eight. Uh, to reiterate what we did, we we got a list of players, four rounds, five through eight, based on Fancy Pro's PPR overall ADPs. Uh, basically, to explain what that is, PPR is point per reception, ADP is average draft position. So we're looking at guys in that format being drafted in rounds five through eight. We're going to talk about their ECR, which is the expert consensus ranking, against our own ranking. So the first guy we have up is Jonathan Taylor, who is the ECR 22, JWB ranking 23. Sure. So Jonathan Taylor is got a very high ceiling, we would hope. Coming into a Colts backfield where, although we like Marlon Mack, he hasn't really been able to take that job and run away with it, which is why Jonathan Taylor's there in the first place. He was very close to making the last list of guys in our prior episode, but ultimately the same type of discussion that you and I had in regards to Edwards Hilaire has to apply here for Taylor, right? Like his ceiling can be extremely high, but at the end of the day, there's some unknown variables here, which is the reason why he ought be taken somewhere in the fifth round. Uh, I'm going to, I guess, let you kind of explain the dynamics of the backfield there because you know, the breakdown between he Marlon Mack and Hines a lot more than I do Wyatt. But my, my last thought here on, on Jonathan Taylor is that, This is one I'd be very weary of. You and I have him ranked at 23, but we've seen him going 
much higher in many drafts where he's off the board and sometimes even round three, let alone round five. So I'd, I'd be careful about jumping for Jonathan Taylor a little early unless you're a huge believer. Um, but what can you tell me about the backfield of the competition there? Well, first, I just want to say I get where the excitement for Jonathan Taylor comes from. He was extremely productive in college. He sets a bunch of records. He's built like Ezekiel Elliott and is faster than Ezekiel Elliott. But he's come into a backfield where Marlon Mack the last two years in 13 games a season has averaged 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns already. We've got Naheem Hines there who's expected to still be the third down back and do the most of the receiving work. He's averaged 70 targets and 54 catches the last two years. So you're kind of looking at this situation where he might split some of the first and second down work. He's probably not going to be a third down back because Naheem Hines will be. So at least in the beginning, his production is kind of capped. Now, I do believe that Jonathan Taylor is a far superior back to Marlon Mack, and he will eventually take the reins of that starting running back position and will get the first and down second work. But what if that doesn't happen right away? What if it's not till week eight that he's officially the man? Uh, how many weeks have you lost because you were starting Jonathan Taylor and he's not giving you enough production? Yeah, and that could be very dangerous. I, I know I'm a big believer, as I think you even said in the last episode, that very often you have to fight to make the playoffs in your league and being able to take a guy and wait six, seven, eight weeks for him to emerge is not always going to be the recipe. So I don't know. I can't answer a lot of those questions or concerns that you have, and that's the reason why I find him as a fifth rounder for myself, even though that is a little bit later than the rest of the general public. Um I mean, we had this entire discussion, Wyatt, and not once did we even bring up that there's also a new quarterback there in Phillip Rivers. And we're not sure how often Phillip Rivers is going to want to trust someone that he doesn't know. It, it's it's too many question marks for me to heavily invest in. I get that the counter to all this is that they have one of the better offensive lines in the league, but I've seen them have a great offensive line for the past two years, I believe, and Marlon Mack was really never able to be much more than a good flex player for most teams. So I understand that even with superior talent, you know, I, I can't really can't really say for certain that this is a running back too for me. And that's why I find him down here a little bit later. Yeah, it's a good point about Phillip Rivers. There is some unknown there. I, I do believe that Jonathan Taylor has the talent to succeed. I'm just I'm just not sure it's going to happen right away. Moving on to our next guy, we've got Mark Ingram, who is ECR 23 and JWB ranking 24. Yeah, so here's uh, another guy that we're a little bit lower on than the rest of the general public, and I think that's for very good reason. Uh, Mark Ingram is never somebody who you should draft very, very high because the ceiling is not there. He's very touchdown dependent, and he's had several years in uh, the past four or five years where that hasn't hurt him and has worked well in his favor. But uh, listen, like we've spent many, many, many in off season talking about how if Mark Ingram could only find his way into the end zone more often, man, wouldn't he be great? Because for years leading up to his recent emergence, he wasn't that guy. So I get that he had a great uh, little spell there with Kamara in New Orleans and was an important piece of a extraordinarily high rushing attack uh, with Baltimore last year, but we can't expect him to produce the same numbers that he did last season. So if there's a little bit of natural regression in what he's done, it doesn't warrant him being much else than a flex running back, someone who you can put in to cover your buys and cover your injuries. And sure, he'll be stable in those situations, 
but you have to expect those numbers to come down. And all of that expectation of regression has nothing to do with the fact that J.K. Dobbins is now in that backfield and that they used a second round pick on him. So outside of tampering my expectations on Ingram, I also think that there's a possibility that almost the exact opposite scenario of what we were talking about with Jonathan Taylor, Ingram might provide you six, seven weeks of good numbers, then lose his job and fall off the radar completely And I'm not willing to risk that with a higher draft pick. If I'm looking at three guys on my team, like let's say I've taken a good first rounder, a good second rounder running back and added David Montgomery as number three. If I'm going to plug Mark Ingram in as my number four to cover those guys, I'm okay with it in that scenario. But I definitely would not be happy rolling out a team where Mark Ingram is my every week flex or God forbid my running back two, just because I don't, I don't see the ceiling there long-term. Yeah. You brought up a lot of good points there. I think another thing to remember is that he's actually going to be turning 31 during the season. And everyone knows that running backs don't necessarily age very well. And you, you talked about his efficiency last year and how there should be some regression to the mean, but it is a very high scoring offense in Baltimore. So you expect even in some what limited work, possibly Mark Ingram could still be a viable flex. We're just not sure how many weeks you get a viable flex for. The next running back we have up is Raheem Mostert, who's ECR 28 and JWB 25. Yeah, so we're actually going to be a little bit higher than the rest of uh, the community here on a guy like Raheem Mostert. For me, I think that this is a situation where you can draft Raheem Mostert in the fifth round of most drafts. I've especially seen recently, Wyatt, that after the trade demand, that that value has even come down a little bit. So uh, as as he was at one point, maybe a late four, early five, it's kind of going back about a half round to a round in most instances. And I think that's really good. It just means that you have an opportunity to get even more value out of Raheem Mostert this year. He gets a ton of work between the 20s and had an excellent end to the season in that Kyle Shanahan offense that is famous for making stars out of running backs. So kind of the issue that I have heard most people air out in terms of drafting Raheem Mostert is that you never know with Kyle Shanahan. He's so good at mixing it up with his running backs that you may take him and he may end up being nothing. And I kind of feel the exact opposite that to me, Kyle Shanahan's track record suggests that I can actually expect to get good numbers out of Raheem Mostert, but only if I'm getting them at value. So the reason why he appears here at 25 in our rankings and why he's a fifth round running back for us is because we, again, wouldn't be taking him as a running back too. Raheem Mostert is a guy who we're looking to plug in as a flex and as a cover guy where every single week I ought to be able to get something out of him. But the reason why I'm higher on Mostert than a lot of other guys that we're going to talk about today is because I also expect him to have, what do you think, four, five, six weeks this year where he absolutely explodes and becomes a weak winner. I don't know if a lot of guys on this list are capable of going out and giving me 30 points on any given week, but I feel like I could get that from Mostert in certain matchups. Yeah, I, I kind of look at Raheem Mostert as somewhat of a lottery ticket. Uh, there's obviously some concerns there that with Kyle Shanahan, you never know who's going to be getting the touches, and maybe you don't actually start Mostert when you need to, but the way he finished out the season last year was just really ridiculous. He had eight touchdowns in the last six games which is just a crazy rate. I, maybe he does it again. I think he still will have some value week to week, but 
uh, what if Kyle Shanahan does decide to give him, you know, 15, 16, 17 touches a game? We might have a top 15 back, maybe even higher. Yeah, I agree. And that's okay if he's not someone you're going to depend on every week. After I get my first three running back options and they're stable and I feel like I can trust them, it's all right to have a guy that you're taking a shot on then at the end of the bench. It just depends on getting him at a spot of good value. And for me, that means the fifth round or the sixth round or something along those lines. So if I'm able to take him here, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled about it. It just has to be in this sort of spot. Our next guy is Ronald Jones, who we touched on a little bit before. Uh, we're going to see a big difference here. The ECR on Ronald Jones is 37, but we have him at 26. Yeah, so we have talked quite a lot about Ronald Jones already in the news section here earlier. So uh, I don't know how much more in-depth we want to get on this, but he needs his work to come up in the passing game. He has been efficient when he gets used. He just hasn't had quite the usage that we would hope from, from a high-tier running back. It appears that that could be changing uh, based on some of the recent news that we've seen. So I have a lot of faith this year that Ronald Jones is going to get a good amount of yardage. Uh, he'll have an opportunity to catch the ball and get more all-purpose yardage there. And one thing that I do know is that he ought to have a fair amount of touchdowns or at least opportunity to convert touchdowns. And to me, all of that spells out someone who has every chance to be a running back one or perhaps maybe a mid-tier running back two. And this is a uh, a late spot to take somebody of that caliber. So a lot of the sentiment that I have on Raheem Mostert and how high the ceiling is, I think applies here to Ronald Jones. It's just, again, not a guy who I want to have to play every single week as my running back too. But if I'm plugging him in as a flex guy or playing him in what I think are extremely good matchups, there's, there's good grounds for it. Uh, I'll also give a nod to his division, right? Like I, I think that, you know for sure two games against Atlanta and two games against Carolina ought be some value for Ronald Jones as well. So I don't necessarily know that he's going to have, you know, a terrible daunting schedule that you might see in the AFC North, for example, where you're trying to run the ball on the Steelers and the Ravens and some other teams where it's a little bit tougher. Uh, so I'm willing to maybe take a little bit more of a chance on him as well, because uh, I think I will have an easier time looking at Ronald Jones and who Tampa Bay is playing and deciding, you know what, I can trust him this week and use him in those advantageous situations. Something I think that is interesting that I don't think people realize is that Ronald Jones is actually a much better receiver than people realize. He actually has a 77.5% catch rate and he averages nine yards per reception. So he's actually really good as a receiver. How do you think he got a rap as such a bad pass catcher I think it has a lot to do with people having a sour taste from his rookie year and how he couldn't get on the field and then how he kept coming off the field in his second year because he was a bad pass blocker that people assumed because he wasn't playing third down it meant he wasn't a good receiver yeah that makes a lot of sense and it explains a lot of why I've seen his press in the offseason focus on him improving those particular areas so I think you're on the right track yeah now you're gonna have to bear with me for a second because I've got a little bit of loosey-goosey math here but I went back and looked at last year and saw all the games he had 13 touches. Okay, 13 touches, it's not a great number, but it's a good number. You know, 13 touches a game. He had nine games of at least 13 touches last year. If you take those nine games and make it into a full season, prorated, it actually comes out to 219 carries, 1,051 yards, nine touchdowns, and 44 receptions for 434 yards. 
if you got those kind of numbers, you would be drafting Ronald Jones a lot higher than even our rank at 26. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you know where that would place him? Somewhere in the teens, I imagine. So if he did have that kind of a season, he would have 203 fancy points on the year. Would that would actually be uh, running back 18 in PPR. Yeah, so it does end up placing him in the teens. That is really good production. I I guess we could assume then that we may see that sort of season out of him this year. And of course, as we're saying here, right, he's being drafted in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round in most drafts. Uh, a lot of people have him ranked back in the 30s. So uh, again, I, I, all the signs point to me, especially in a really good Tom Brady-led offense, that he has all the tools there to outperform his ADP by a wide margin. Yeah, I agree with you totally. Our next running back is DeAndre Swift, who is ECR 27 and JWB 27. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about DeAndre Swift, so you'll have to give me a little more info here. Uh, I know he was drafted awfully high. I'm definitely someone who has believed in the Lions' offensive weapons in the past. Uh, I found myself guilty of drafting on Johnson and probably about half of the teams that I had last year, which seemed okay prior to the injury. Are we expecting that Swift is going to walk in and put up the the numbers and the touches that Kerryon Johnson did before? So yeah, first off, you're, you're right. He was the 35th overall pick in last year's draft, which is the top of the second round. Uh, but yeah, Kerryon Johnson, you know, he's only played 18 games the last two years. So I do think that there's going to be a split here to start. They're, they're really similar players. Uh, they're both pretty good at everything. They're not really great at anything. Uh, but really what's key here is availability, which Kerryon Johnson has a problem with. I could kind of see in that situation why they would want someone who is essentially the same mold as Kerryon Johnson, but maybe somebody that they have a little more faith in. So uh, I, I suppose if I can expect him to put up the type of numbers that Kerryon Johnson had put up, he becomes a very viable PPR option at this stage of the draft. I think part of the reason why I maybe don't have as strong a feeling on him as you or most people do is because in every instance where I'm seeing DeAndre Swift available to me, I'm actually taking someone like Raheem Mostert or Ronald Jones instead at the same position. Uh, and I do have both of them. And obviously we can see this from the JWB rankings just slightly ahead of Swift. So I, I, I don't know, I guess, would you, be taking him if you know you had the option to do so or are you trying to maybe wait an additional round to take someone like ronald jones instead i do find myself not taking swift even when i am able to in this range uh i think that his ceiling is probably just a little bit capped uh the detroit lions don't have a great defense so you expect stafford to have to throw a lot it kind of depends on how much swift will be involved in the passing game and how much Kerryon Johnson does play. I mean, I did mention that he he hasn't played a lot. Uh, there's a chance he does this year. You know, there, there's a, enough question marks that I just have found myself not taking him where I where I could be. Yeah, so maybe this is going to be an area where we let everyone else invest in Swift. And after the first few games, if it looks like he's a good trade candidate, we go out and grab him that way. Uh, but I don't see myself drafting shares of him outright in a lot of situations unless we happen to run into a draft where Montgomery went earlier, Jones went earlier, even Mark Ingram went earlier than we thought, and we don't have much of a choice. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you on it. Our next running back is Devin Singletary, ECR 25, JWB 28. Yeah, so if we had a do not draft list, would this be the lead name on it? Perhaps second to Darius Geis, but Devin Singletary is going to be a hard no from both of us this year for what we believe is very good reason. Uh, Devin Singletary did quite a lot on not a ton of opportunity last year, and the signs point to that opportunity perhaps diminishing even more. So taking him this high up in a draft where you expect to use and lean on him is is a hard no from me, Wyatt. I worry about him getting absolutely no goal line touches. Those are, of course, going to go to Zach Moss. The team has come out and essentially said that Zach Moss is just going to step in and be Frank Gore. Well, that means that they got Zach Moss specifically to get the goal line work, and that really limits uh, what we can get out of Devin Singletary. So I, I have to ask you a couple of yes or no over under type questions when it comes to a guy like Devin Singletary. Wyatt, is he going to score more than six touchdowns this year? Definitely not. Is he going to go for over a thousand yards? I don't think so. Why am I drafting him? Where's the ceiling and where's the love on Devin Singletary? Because this is a situation where I think I've said to you even previously that I don't understand why we keep seeing his name so high up in drafts because we look at him and almost immediately think there's no opportunity there for him. So uh, is it possible that we're missing something? Or do you think that maybe a lot of the community is just a, a prisoner to some of the numbers that they saw at the end of last year, even though it was on limited touches? I do think Devin Singletary has his place, and that's why he is ranked where we have him in this range. And and that's because I think he does have a week-to-week floor that if you're in desperate need of running back, if you went zero running back and you need a guy who you can plug in and just hope for 10 to 15 points a week, this is probably your guy. Uh, but you're right. His ceiling is completely capped because of Zach Moss. You, you spoke about how he's coming in to take Frank Gore's role, which they did speak about. The thing about Frank Gore, he wasn't very good last year. He had 166 carries. He was the goal line back. He only had two touchdowns. Well, I expect Zach Moss to be better than Frank Gore. So he's going to have more than that. He's going to take even more away from Devin Singletary. And also, we know that Zach Moss is a decent receiver out of the backfield. So what if he cuts into some of Devin Singletary's receiving work, too? Yeah, I was going to ask you if you thought there was a path for Moss to maybe get even more than just work inside the 20s, and it definitely sounds like that's the case. So uh, I, I hate to say it because Singletary was a very, very popular free agent pickup for me in a ton of leagues that we were in last year. And you're right, we did play him to good effect. But it's not, you know, the reason why Devin Singletary offered both you and I and a lot of other people value last year is because we were taking him as a free agent pickup and then plugging him into the flex role as an emergency play to give us 10 to 15 points. Whereas we were getting zeros in certain instances where people were injured or underperforming. That's a massive difference from I took this guy in the sixth round and I need him to produce for me on a week in week out basis. Uh, I got to tell you that where I'm at with this particular offense, if I wanted a share of it, it would be in Zach Moss where I can take him at the end of the draft for absolutely nothing. And when that guy who emerges as this year's Devin Singletary shows himself to be a 10 point a week scorer, 
if I'm not getting it with Zach Moss, then I can drop Zach Moss for nothing and pick someone up later. But investing a draft pick in Singletary and the early stages of a draft, that's not going to happen for me. Yeah, it really is unfortunate. I, like you, was looking forward to Devlin Singletary coming into the season, and then the Buffalo Bills were blunt with us and just told us straight up, Zach Moss is going to be Frank Gore this year, and it kind of just took the wind out of our sails. Yeah, it really did, and I'm with you completely. Like, I like the Bills. I I think it's just a matter of us being Browns fans in particular that we identify with that team and with that fan base and we want the Bills to do well. I want to own their players. Uh, We did a recent mock draft that we're going to post for everybody here in the next few days as well where we came out of it with Stephon Dix as our number two wide receiver and I don't really have much of an issue with grabbing a guy like Josh Allen as a decent later quarterback at some point. So I I wish I could feel more comfortable with taking Devin Singletary and leaning on him. It's just the more and more I look into it and the more research I do, the numbers just don't support him having a return on this particular draft position. Moving on to our next running back, we've got Kareem Hunt, ECR 26, JWB 29. Yeah, I mean, what in the world can we say about Kareem Hunt, right? You and I are so high on Nick Chubb. It shows in our rankings. It shows in the previous episode that we did. And if you're super, super high on Nick Chubb, I don't necessarily think that we can turn around in good conscience and say that we expect Kareem Hunt to have this massive ceiling that everyone else is preaching he does. I I think Kareem Hunt is definitely a situation where you have to ask yourself, what am I looking for? And if the answer to that is I play in a PPR league where I didn't take running backs as early as I wish I ought of. And I need a guy who any given week, regardless of matchup, I can put into a PPR scoring format and get a number out of. Well, then by all means, draft Kareem Hunt, sit him in your flex position, use him and hope that you get good numbers out of him. But do I think he's going to catch six, seven passes a week and have a touchdown every week? Not at all. I think there's a high chance that he has games where Chubb is just running it up the gut. And he doesn't see nearly as much work as people are hoping that he does. It's just he is an interesting player that offers you potential flex viability, but does it where he also is a league winner? Because if for some reason Nick Chubb were to go down and it became just a Kareem Hunt backfield, then at that point you are expecting that you have yourself a running back one. And I think that's the reason why people are drafting him this high. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, but do you think the fantasy of what if is what finds Kareem Hunt in this range of drafts? Yeah, I think you laid it out perfectly. And especially for PPR, we actually noted previously that Kareem Hunt, when he got into the lineup, was averaging just as many points as Nick Chubb was in PPR. So that's why some people are excited, especially when you consider if Nick Chubb goes down, Kareem Hunt will be the guy and he's really in line for being a top five running back. But another thing that you have to consider is that Kareem Hunt does have some off-the-field troubles, and if anything would happen again, I would have to assume he'd be done for the year, suspended. I agree with that as well, and you do always have to wonder about those situations, and maybe at this point in the draft, it's not worth putting yourself in that type of peril if you can avoid it. I, I don't know. It just I, I get it. I get the viewpoint of why people really want to draft him high, and I do see that there's warrant for that in the PPR format. But even if you drop it from PPR to half PPR, it becomes even harder for me to take him. So if, if I didn't have the numbers from websites like fantasy pros that tell me 
that I can wait and take a guy like Ronald Jones or Mark Ingram after Kareem Hunt. In most instances, I, you know, I, I maybe I would see myself with a few more shares of him than we have thus far. Uh, but this is another guy who's going to fall into that Devin Singletary type of category that where he's being drafted, there's other options that I have more faith in. Yeah, I'm right there with you in the fact that I've just been drafting other people instead of him in this range. Moving on to our next guy, we've got Cam Akers, ECR 29, JWB 30. And I'm going to have to say, after our talk earlier, we may be dropping this guy a little bit more. Yeah, I, prior to Sean McVay's comments, we had him up here on the hope that he emerges. And I think that there is still some possibility that he does. Uh, I don't, I think you and I have to get into a ton of detail here about whether or not Cam Akers or Henderson is more likely to be the guy that emerges. The fact that Akers can catch passes and could potentially become a third down back makes him the very obvious answer to that question. And that's the reason why he's going higher than Henderson. Does that mean he should be going as high as the rest of these names? I mean, even before Sean McVay said, he said, the answer for me was no. I think this, again, is the same sort of Edward Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift discussion that we've already had. He's the shiny new toy. Everybody wants to call him Todd Gurley because that's the offense that he's going into. And there really isn't any evidence to suggest that he would ever produce the type of numbers that we saw from Todd Gurley in that offense years ago. Uh, so I'm not really seeing it here with the with the love on Cam Akers and what's transpired in that backfield is, as you said, made me have even more pause for concern. Yeah, I think the hope is that the Rams have a very good offense, a high scoring offense. So if Cam Akers was to take the reins of that backfield, you could have a very valuable pick. He does have the highest draft capital out of anyone in the backfield He as he's a second round pick. But I just have so many questions regarding the backfield. I mean, like you said, you have Daryl Henderson there who last year was supposed to be the guy who was going to kind of have this big role with um, with Todd Gurley being hurt. But that didn't really happen. Does he kind of get his feet under him now? The Rams don't have a great offensive line. Uh, there's still talk of Malcolm Brown being involved, who's been a very good goal line back. I just have too many questions. Yeah, I understand. I got the same questions you do. The next running back we're going to talk about is Damian Williams, who is ECR 35, JWB 31. Yeah, I mean, this is the other side of the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire coin that you and I are on, right? Our hesitation with the rookies is why do we want to invest a high draft pick in someone that might take four or five weeks to get their legs really going and their feet within the offense? Well, listen, if one of those guys is going to take that long to turn into something of extreme value, it means it's because there's a veteran standing in their way who's getting the initial work first. And that's what we think is going to happen for Damian Williams. I don't anticipate that he's simply going to fall off the field, especially at the beginning. And that offers me a lot of good, especially early in the season value uh, for a guy like that. And it doesn't cost a whole lot to draft him. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was being taken in the second round of drafts last year, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if you remember as well, but I feel like Damian Williams was very, very high up on the draft boards last year. And all that I've really 
seen change is he had a half decent season and then they drafted a rookie, right? So might that mean that he's not that useful at the end of the year? Sure. But I, I can already tell you that if I'm in a position to grab Damian Williams, I'm certainly looking to do that, to flex him the first three, four weeks, get some points out of him, and hopefully trade him to the guy who took Edwards Hilaire and is starting to panic about doing that too early. So who knows? <laughs> I think there's a lot of potential options here for him and roles in that offense and ways that you get points from week to week. Yeah, you hit on it how this is kind of a reflection of how we're a little bit lower on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, so we're a little bit higher on Damian Williams than the public. He plays in the Chiefs offense, which, as we know, is very dynamic. So if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did have any trouble grasping the offense or he just starts slowly, we could see a lot of value coming from Damian Williams. Um, I'm going to do some more loosey-goosey math here again. In two seasons with the Chiefs, there's been 11 games where Damian Williams has had at least 12 touches, okay? Again, decent amount, but not a great amount of touches. But in the games where he's had 12 touches, he averages 90 total yards, four catches, and a touchdown per game. And those numbers are just great. So if Damian Williams is the guy again to start the season or at least still has a heavy part of the offense, you can expect him to produce. Yeah, those are really staggering numbers for someone who's getting picked this late. And it's making me think, and I don't know, I guess correct me if maybe I'm way off base here, but Wyatt, is it entirely possible that that offense can just sustain him and Edwards Hilaire just fine? I think it is possible. I know last year they averaged about 27 touches for their running backs a game. So that is enough to kind of go around in an offense that's as, as efficient as this, which is another reason why Damian Williams is here for us, is that even though he's going to be splitting time, he's going to have some week-to-week value. Yeah, and I guess, you know, nothing new here that I haven't already said previously, but if I have questions about either of those guys, I'd rather invest in the one that cost me less to get. So all that points to me having more shares of Damian Williams than I do in Edward Talaire. And I think maybe we're right. You know, maybe that offense is just going to be able to support both of them and they're both going to have week to week value. And it is what it is. Uh, Damian Williams might not be giving me weeks of 30, but he might be that guy that comes off my bench to cover by weeks and injuries where I can expect to get 10 to 15 points out of him and then move on to the next week. Yeah, so the next guy we're going to talk about to finish up rounds five through eight is James White, who's ECR 30, JDWB 32. Yeah, James White. I mean, is there anybody who's more stable in PPR and half PPR leagues than James White through the years? Every year he seems to return a little bit higher value than where he was picked. So I don't know why this year would be any different. Uh, I definitely think that he offers Cam Newton in particular a very, very interesting running back combination that you're not going to see from Sony Michelle. I've kind of tried to thought experiment in my head here with what the prototypical Cam Newton running back has looked like. And I think that James White fits that mold a little bit better than Sony Michelle does. And he has a good path to playing time from that. Uh, and then the last facet of James White for me, why it is, I do believe that with new faces in that offense, it's entirely possible that he sees the field way more than any of us anticipate just because of how stable he is and how much he knows that playbook and understands where to be, who to block, when to release, what to do, what route to run. 
Uh, all that kind of suggests that he's going to be able to get his hands on the ball more than we're anticipating. And that means increase in value. Yeah, I think you explained James White really perfectly. We've James White's actually someone who we've touched on basically in every episode. Uh, he's just a really stable PPR back. Even in standard, he's going to have a little bit of value every week. Uh, we've talked about with Cam Newton, he tends to target the guys that he knows are good receivers, and we know James White is a good receiver. Yeah, he's a great receiver out of the backfield. So I don't know. I feel like at the end of every single year, I look back and I think, wow, he really had that many yards. He really had that many touchdowns. I can't believe it, but it just always ends up being true. Uh, and this year could be even more so with what's going on in that particular franchise. So I'm a big believer in getting him in a good spot like this and you know, getting better return on your draft pick than what you invested. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So now what we're going to do is we're going to move on to some late round sleepers. So these are guys that are getting taken later in drafts that we think could have a lot of value into this season. I'm going to talk about the first one, and that's Duke Johnson, who's currently being drafted in the 14th round. Now, Duke Johnson has never missed a game in his NFL career, but the guy ahead of him, David Johnson, has a history of missing some games. And Duke Johnson, his average season so far is 339 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown and adding 56 catches for 516 yards and two touchdowns in the air. So this is a guy who's already going to have week-to-week value in that offense. If David Johnson ever gets hurt, Duke Johnson's going to be in for a big role. And I've always found it really weird that Duke Johnson seems to always be the best back on his roster, but is never the featured guy. It never really made sense to me. Maybe this is the year that changes. I don't know if that's the year this changes. I am unsure if I'd be willing to go that far on it, but I definitely like him as someone you can invest in later and get good value out of. Uh, It's very, very similar to the discussion that we just had on James White for me that we know who he is and what he does with Deshaun Watson in particular. Uh, And in PPR and half PPR leagues, he's not somebody that you're expecting to take zeros out of. Uh, I just think part of the reason why he's falling into our category of late round sleepers is because even if David Johnson weren't there, we still don't know exactly what Duke Johnson's ceiling would be. Uh, But I'd be very comfortable taking him in the 13th or 14th round I mean, that's what jumps out at me here about this is that that's an incredibly late round to get someone of that caliber, especially in leagues that are going to reward you for 56 caught passes. That's a staggering number that you threw out. Yeah, I think his value, especially in PPR, is just really high for the round he's going in. Justin, why don't you talk about our next guy? So next on the list is a guy that we're going to mention and then almost immediately uh, contradict ourselves on, and that's Daryl Henderson. So in the past uh, couple of weeks, we were kind of a a little bit higher on Daryl Henderson than we've been in the past few days in light of what Sean McVay said, and we've talked about that enough throughout the show. But Daryl Henderson out of the Rams' backfield offers you a very cheap option where you can take a shot on that offense, and if it turns out that he gets the lion's share of work there, you've really hit on something. So for me, Daryl Henderson falls in that category of, well, someone has to get this work. uh, And we don't know exactly what we're going to get out of Cam Akers. So we've seen it throughout the years that sometimes rookies don't necessarily acclimate the way that their coaches want them to. Uh, We've seen a lot of coaches 
have a very short fuse with rookie running backs. And if anything of that nature is to happen with Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson's going to be in line for an absolute mountain of work if he's seeing first, second, and third down work with the Rams offense. So I, I can't say that I'm a huge, huge believer in him because now I think that that whole backfield might just be a little bit of a mess. But to take him in the 12th round and cut your losses on him if it's not working out the way you want is a, a pretty pretty cheap price to pay for what could turn out to be a running back two or flex running back at some point. Yeah, you're right. We did just talk a lot of crap about the Rams' backfield and how we don't really trust it, but this is a 12th-round pick. That's the difference between him and Cam Akers. Cam Akers is going in the 6th round, 7th round, but this is a guy you can take in the 12th, and they basically have the same outlook. They could be big-time scorers in this high-scoring offense, but we just don't know. So, it's yeah, it's kind of a lottery ticket. The next running back we're going to talk about is Alexander Madison, who's currently going in the 12th round. Now, I know everyone knows about all these high-profile handcuffs. There's Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, Latavius Murray. But the reason why we want to talk about Alexander Madison is because the running back in front of him has a history of missing games. Dalvin Cook, he's missed 19 of his possible 14, 48 games. And now we all have also got the contract issue that's happening. Even when Cook is healthy last year, Alexander Madison had 100 carries for 462 yards and a touchdown, and he did that without ever actually starting a game. So he's going to have some week-to-week value. Now, I'm not saying that you'll be able to start him, but you'll know that if things go tragically for you that he will have some role. And if Dalvin Cook ever goes down, this is a top-10 guy. Yeah, that's definitely true. If something were to happen that he turned into the only running back there, that is just some kind of value that you would not really be able to pass up. Part of the reason why I really like Alexander Madison outside of everything that you've already said, which is 100% spot on, Wyatt, is I am a person who has always drafted the running back position so high that for me to make a handcuff like Madison, the fifth running back on my team, almost becomes irrelevant. It won't matter to me if I can't play him from week to week if I'm sitting there with him in my running back five position. And he's just there in in case I can capitalize on the weeks where he is huge. But I've also found that in almost every league that I've ever been in, there's always this guy, right? I'm going to call him the collector who just wants to stash up on these high ceiling players who just love their handcuffs and can't come off of them. So for me, a guy like Madison offers me value for my own personal team if I've drafted running back the way that I normally do. But I also have the possibility that if I'm trying to strike a trade with someone, a guy like Madison, who I can throw in at the back end of a deal to get it across the finish line, becomes very valuable because people in the fantasy community tend to always be infatuated with the massive what if. And Madison is a guy who carries that what if he becomes the guy possibility. That's why we've heard him referred to, like we talked about with Kareem Hunt, as a league winner. If he becomes the guy and turns into the most powerful flex player in your league, you know, you're guaranteed to start stomping on people. And that that alone is a good reason to have him on your bench. Now put all of that analysis from me and you together at a 12th round price tag. Who wouldn't want that sort of value? Yeah, I, th- I think you nailed it exactly. Why don't you talk to me about our next guy, Zach Moss, who's currently going in the 13th round? Yeah, well, I figured you would kick it to me for Zach Moss because you know how how much I love Zach Moss. So we uh, 
touched on this earlier. He's expected to come in as a very high draft pick in a Buffalo offense that is consistently improving and take over the Frank Gore work, which means red zone touches and goal line carries. So Moss is going to have the ability to contribute on a week to week basis as a high point scorer for you but to me also possesses the ability to increase his total throughout the year. So Zach Moss is a guy that you can grab in the 13th round of a draft, sit at the end of your bench and just watch his numbers go from four, five, six, seven, eight a week up to what I think midway to midway through the year towards the end of the year could easily be 13, 14, then eventually maybe 18, 19, 20 point games. And I really like that. Now, outside of the ability to have goal line touches and increase his work throughout the year, Moss kind of falls into the category of as a league winner for me as well. If something were to happen that eliminated Devin Singletary from the backfield via injury, I do think Moss does fall into that small short list of guys who would have both the talent and the opportunity to capitalize on a situation. And that that makes him very high up on my radar as far as the last running back that I'm going to grab at the end of a draft. Yeah, we've mentioned this a few times now that he's going to be taking over the Frank Gore role. And I wanted to go back and look and see how Frank Gore actually was. So Frank Gore had 26 touches in the red zone last year, but he only scored on 7.7% of them. So I expect Zach Moss to be better than Frank Gore. So I expect him to convert a lot more of those red zone touches into actual scores. And as we mentioned before, he has capabilities on the third down, so he may work into some of the passing work as well. Moving on to our next guy, we've got Antonio Gibson, who's going in the 16th round. Now, this is a guy who, coming into the NFL, he didn't have a true position in college. He was actually just kind of more of a weapon, and he's really just a freak athlete. He's, he's 6'2", 230. He ran a 4.39 in the 40-yard dash. And then he gets drafted by the Washington football team, and Ron Rivera compares him to Christian McCaffrey, which I'm not saying Antonio Gibson's going to be Christian McCaffrey, but one thing I do know is that the Washington backfield is kind of a mess. I don't think you can trust Darius Geis, and what if Antonio Gibson comes in and impresses, and he starts getting these touches in the beginning of the year, and he's making making yards out of him, he's getting touchdowns, and he's just I think it's possible that he works himself into being the guy in that backfield. I couldn't agree with you more. He is my favorite name on this list of late round running backs that are available to take in the double digit rounds. And he's also coming at the lowest of all the price tags at round 16. Uh, Here's what I think I know. I think Adrian Peterson is done or just about done every single week that he's on the field could be his last. I know that Darius Geis is historically unreliable and I'll be shocked if he's able to turn in a double digit uh, amount of games to his season. So there's a good possibility that someone is going to have to emerge in that backfield. And one thing that I've noticed through the years in Washington is that when someone emerges, it's usually because they have the talent to come in and do exactly what you said, which is impress. And if he's already managed to put himself on Ron Rivera's radar in a good way, it stands to reason that he might be the piece of that backfield that ends up getting utilized most heavily. And there's really, really, really good potential that those numbers could be reliable running back to numbers for someone that you can take literally as your last pick in the draft. So, you know, if you're searching for that one last final option, 
Uh, I think that he is my my number one choice for the guy that you can target and grab late. The next running back we're going to talk about is J.K. Dobbins, who's actually going in the 10th round right now. And we mentioned him a little bit before, but Justin, why don't you tell me some more about him? Yeah, so J.K. Dobbins, we know quite a lot about from his time at Ohio State. Uh, and I was looking for him to get drafted by a team that would allow him to come in, be himself, and utilize his talents as a straightforward rusher. And then lo and behold, on draft day, he goes to the team that is probably most equipped to do that in Baltimore. So Dobbins is going to benefit heavily from the fact that defenses have no choice but to respect Lamar Jackson. And that's going to allow him to see alignments and boxes that are potentially even easier to run through than what he saw at Ohio State. He has all the talent in the world and the ability to run away with this job in the right circumstances. Uh, You spoke a little bit earlier about Mark Ingram's age. And I know every year we spend a lot of time talking about if this is finally it for Mark Ingram. And even though it never is, at some point, we will have to eventually see that day come to fruition. Uh, If it happens to be this year that Mark Ingram loses some effectiveness and his touches and time on the field start to diminish, J.K. Dobbins is going to be the guy that benefits from that. And you can get him at a pretty affordable 10th round price tag in most instances. So we know that he's going to be in an offense that gives him plenty of opportunity to do some real damage. And we know that he's going to be in an offense that previously, even with Mark Ingram, has seen guys like Gus Edwards get a decent amount of work. So I think much like we talked about with Kareem Hunt, you're looking at someone here in J.K. Dobbins who has standalone value in any circumstances. But his what-if factor as a league winner is also through the roof. So I know I said that Antonio Gibson is my my number one as a later pick. Uh, I've noticed that J.K. Dobbins is, is usually my number two in that category. It's just that you have to be willing to draft him perhaps a little, a little bit higher. What I, I will kind of give everyone is just a parting thought here on J.K. Dobbins is that he is certainly a guy where you want to assume if you like him that at least one other person in your league feels the way that you do. He goes in the 10th round on aggregate, but that's also because I've seen him go as high as the 8th or ninth round in certain drafts, especially when I've been drafting with leagues that are maybe a little more talented. So I do think that J.K. Dobbins is going to be on a list of everybody's favorite sleepers for the year. So do your own research on him, form an opinion, and if you decide that you really like him, be ready to move on him as your fourth running back if you need to, to ensure that you get him. Uh, Cause we have seen him kind of steadily rising up the draft board, um, both in mock drafts and ADP and in other expert consensus rankings throughout this off season. The thing you hit on that I think is really important is about how Gus Edwards had a lot of work last year. He had 137 carries last year. So I kind of expect JK Dobbins to take Gus Edwards role last year. So I think you could expect to him to get at least that amount of carries on the year, and that's if he doesn't assume the starting role. And he's also a very good receiver out of the backfield, so it's possible he gets even more touches that way. Now, Lamar Jackson doesn't throw a lot to the, his running back, but just being able to get on the field more, you know, it provides this potential for greater things. I agree with you there, and I don't even know that I'm that worried about Lamar Jackson not necessarily throwing to his running backs because it's not as if we have just a mountain of 
games and game footage to suggest that he doesn't. Right. Like, I, I think that we sure. have to assume that there's going to be some evolution in Lamar Jackson. And it, at any point, facets of his game should and quite frankly, ought to change as NFL defenses le- learn how to react to him. And sure, it's maybe a lottery ticket, as you like to say, Wyatt, but it maybe this year, the running back out of the backfield blocking, releasing, and catching passes become something that we see a little bit more out of them. L- let's say for a second that that's true. Is is it Mark Ingram that's going to have that role? Blocking, releasing, and catching passes? <laughs> no, it's going to be somebody like J.K. Dobbins. So there's only a possibility that what we already think are pretty serviceable numbers out of him could get even higher. So I don't, I don't see too many guys who I consider sleepers that have a double digit price tag that have a high floor. Usually it's super low floor, super high ceiling, right? Like we're discussing with Antonio Gibson who could give you the world, but could also give you four weeks of zero. I I don't see that with Dobbins. Dobbins has a higher floor than I would anticipate for someone that falls into this late round category. And that's part of the reason why I like him so much. It's a good point about the possible evolution of Lamar Jackson's game and how he might actually pass to his running backs more this year. Moving on to our next running back, or running backs, I should say. We're going to highlight Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. Jordan Howard's going in the 10th. Matt Breida's going in the 11th. And what this boils down to is one of these guys is going to be the starting running back in Miami. And while it's not the most valuable position to be the starting running back in Miami— it is valuable to be a starting running back in the NFL for fantasy. It just means you're going to get a good amount of work. I think basically what I'm trying to say here is the opportunities for the taking for one of these guys, and it's important to keep note of it, and I think there is some value there. So I actually think that this might be one of the first ones that I'm a little more out on. I've been burned by the Miami backfield and the constantly evolving situations there maybe too much in the past to be on board with either of these guys. A uh, good counter argument to that, of course, Wyatt, is that they're not costing you a whole lot. So you have an opportunity to get, uh, as you said, an, an NFL running back who's leading a backfield at a pretty cheap price here. Um, but I know I've seen situations like Bellage in the past that have just not worked out in Miami. And the, the old adage of somebody has to get the work has not necessarily applied to that system. Part of my issue here is that I actually think if I could get them even cheaper than what they already cost, I might like it a little bit more. But Jordan Howard and Matt Breida carry a recognizable name to that backfield that I think has forced them up draft boards a little bit higher than maybe they ought to go. My other large issue here with the Miami backfield is I just have no idea who's going to have what role and how that's going to shape out. So this is a situation like I had mentioned a little bit earlier when we were discussing the guys in rounds five through eight, that Jordan Howard and Matt Breida tend to not be the names that are jumping off the page to me when I'm grabbing my fourth or fifth running back and I'm seeing guys like J.K. Dobbins and Antonio Gibson and Zach Moss that are still available in the same range. Um, But I definitely think that people who are using like a no running back strategy, for example, should look at guys like this as, as lottery tickets that they might want to buy into. For me with these guys, what's important is that neither of them are known as good receivers. So basically they're fighting for the first and second down work. And I just want to kind of take whoever's left out of these guys, whichever one's going later, I'll take that guy. If I need a running back, because it's just hard to find starting running backs that late. And 
one of these guys is going to start. Yeah, you're right. So, I, I mean, I do get that, but that is an interesting point that you make about the first and second down work. If they're going to ride the hot hand from week to week, or if they're going to spend the beginning of games kind of switching who's going to get first and second down carries, I don't know that I'm ever really going to be able to predict who does what there. And my greatest fear with situations like the Dolphins here is, what do I do if Jordan Howard goes out and has a 20-point game in week one then Matt Breda has a 20-point game in week two, right? After I see that out of both of them, and they're very capable of that, Wyatt, right? Like, these are talented guys who could certainly put up big numbers. If either of them puts up a big number, am I ever going to feel comfortable about playing the other one? And for me, the answer to that is generally no. Like, I'd rather have a guy who maybe is only going to give me 13 points at maximum, but I know I'm going to get at least six, seven, eight out of him instead of thinking you know, am I going to play Brita and this is the week he only has four carries because Jordan Howard is just carrying the water for the team. And that that bugs me a little bit. So I, I have to say that my ability personally to draft one of these guys was likely to be predicated off of what I saw in the preseason. And unfortunately, that has been taken away now. So I don't know that I'm really going to be able to believe that either of them is going to be the starter, even if I'm told one is. Yeah, I can definitely see how the backfield could end up just being a mess that you don't really want a part of. For me, it's just low draft capital for a possible starting NFL running back, and I'm willing to take the chance in some cases. But, Justin, why don't you talk to me about our last guy, who is Boston Scott going in the 14th round? Yeah, so I I haven't personally had any shares of Boston Scott yet for uh the reasons that I mentioned earlier, guys like Antonio Gibson and Zach Moss. But the more research that I've done, the more that I have become comfortable with Boston Scott as somebody who you might really win the lottery with this year. Doug Peterson in particular has always had multiple running backs be important within that Eagle system. And we've seen a lot of different names go through there, like Jordan Howard, who we just talked about in recent seasons. And Going into my preparation for this particular fantasy football season, I found myself thinking like Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders, Miles Sanders. And that's evidenced by the fact that he's going in like the second round of every draft that we have been in. And then I started to think more and more and more, well, it never is just one guy. So what is this going to look like? And that's where we kind of dug in and we found Boston Scott there as what's likely to be used as a consistent compliment to Miles Sanders. And I think that means that he has pretty good value and has the ability to emerge within that offense. So one thing that we do know is that there is, for whatever reason, a seamless, a seemingly endless stream of injuries within the Philadelphia organization. And at the end of last year in 2019, he put up outstanding numbers And I'm kind of hoping that, you know, maybe some turmoil there within the organization gives him the opportunity to continue to do that through various parts of this year. So for somebody that I could take in the 14th round that could step into what I expect to be a pretty prolific offense is really, really good value. Yeah, I think you did a really good job of explaining why this guy has value with Doug Peterson wanting to use running back by committee. We've seen it every year he's been a head coach and really everywhere that he has coached. And again, another thing you hit on is that Boston Scott really proved himself at the end of last year when the Eagles needed it. 
In week 17 last year, when Miles Sanders actually had to leave the game at halftime, Boston Scott ended the game with three touchdowns. So we know that he can produce given the opportunity. And I think he will have some opportunity this year. Yeah, I find myself with a lot of these guys thinking, well, what if they get the opportunity? Wouldn't that be nice? What would they do with it? And again, there's not a very big list of guys where I can actually point to some statistical evidence that says, oh, look, they did have the opportunity and here is what they did with it. And that is the case from those last four games of 2019 where Boston Scott showed me that under the right circumstances, you know, he can do something here. So if I'm focusing on grabbing like you and I preach three extremely good running backs in the first four picks, uh, usually the result of that is that by round 10 or 11, I'm looking at my quarterback, my tight end, four running backs, four receivers. And then we start to hit this last part of the draft where I feel super good about my team and want a couple guys who I think could be home run hitters in the right circumstances. And this list of guys that we have went through right here, Boston Scott, along with everybody else, are, are the people that I think can offer that sort of league winning value if the situation goes the way you hope. Well, I think that's going to about wrap it up for us with the running backs. I want to let you guys know that we actually have a Patreon that's up and running right now. You can find it at patreon.com slash football. We've got a few different tiers there. We've got the premium tier where we're going to be doing some extra bonus content and some uh, extra analysis. And then there's the VIP tier, which is going to have that same bonus content and analysis. Plus, you're going to be able to get our JWB rankings and projections and then weekly rankings once the season starts. Our next episode, we actually recorded a live mock draft that Justin talked about a little bit earlier, so we're going to be posting that. It should be up available on Friday. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at YFB underscore FF. Justin's at JWill underscore FF, and the show's at JWB underscore FF. And we'll see you next time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. 